Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number 12, where we talk about the doctrine and covenants, the scriptures from the restoration. While the Book of Mormon might be the scripture for the restoration, the doctrine and covenants is the scripture produced by the restoration. It is our modern day scripture, and it is unique. And some people have found the doctrine and covenants to be a challenge to study. In this episode, we talk about the Doctrine and Covenants and how to get more out of it. It is my desire, my goal, that you fall in love with the Doctrine and Covenants. So we've been doing Foundations of the Restoration, and I know the, the Restoration is not a linear outline that we can just say, well, this came and then this came, because a lot of things come in different pieces. So what I want to do tonight is I want to do the Scriptures of the Restoration. Now, I am on a quest, and by the end of the hour, let's see if I have accomplished my quest. I would like to help you fall in love with the Doctrine and Covenants. I don't know very many people who deeply love the Doctrine and Covenants. It is a difficult book of Scripture to love. And I say that fully aware that we, not too long ago, came through a Come Follow Me Doctrine and Covenants year. But let's talk about the scriptures of the restoration. Now, there's no doubt that the Book of Mormon was written for our dispensation. But what book of scripture was written in our dispensation? So let me give you reasons to love. That's how I'm going to tackle this tonight. Reasons to love the Doctrine and Covenants. I want to start in Doctrine and Covenants section 18. Turn with me to section 18. Let's, I'm going to, we'll follow along. Doctrine and Covenants section 18. So maybe before we jump into this, just initial thoughts. Tell me what your thoughts are regarding the Doctrine and Covenants. Anyone willing to share? James? Dry. Dry. And what's the reason you find it dry? Okay. The Book of Mormon compels interest with a storyline. Now, that's going to be part of the problem. We're going to get into this in just a minute, but it's easy to say story setting illustrates a principle. Now, if I can can see how the principle comes out of the story, then I can take that principle into my story. Do you see why we love that? I pulled the principle out of a story, therefore it's easy to put it into another story, like my own. And we love that. We love to apply principles because we see it flow out of the story. But you don't get a strong storyline in the Doctrine and Covenants. Because I feel like it's just like revelation, but it's like different things. It's kind of confusing. Ren. It just like jumps, and then my brain is like, what? Yep. It's a randomness. Now... I am going to tell you from the very beginning, you don't need to be an expert on the history. That is not the secret to loving the Doctrine and Covenants. You don't need to be a church history guru and know exactly what's going on. There's plenty in the scriptures. But do you see the challenges we face? Other thoughts? Tell me your thoughts on the Doctrine and Covenants. I love the Doctrine and Covenants. Kristen's saying, I love it. But tell me why you love it. And that's going to, and that's going to be my number one. You get to hear Jesus speaking English, not Jesus translated into English. You get to hear Jesus's mastery of our language. And we'll do that in just a minute, but I love that one. Yep, I love that. Daniel, what were you going to add? 
Okay, so let's, let me just, reasons to love and how to love the Doctrine and Covenants. Let's go back. I love what Kristen said, because for me, that's section 18. I love this statement from section 18. Starting in verse 34, Jesus says, these words, it's pretty clear what he's saying, these words. These words are not of man, nor of man, but of me. Wherefore you shall testify that they are of me and not of man. It is my voice which speaketh them unto you. That statement is so significant. It is my voice which speaketh them unto you. For, ye are, for they are given by my spirit unto you, and by my power you can read them one to another. And save it were by my power, you could not have them. Wherefore, you can testify that you have heard my voice and know my words. Now, Jill, I know, is a great reader of fantasy novels and fantasy. Tell me about getting to know an author through reading a lot of their words. Tell me experiences you've had where I know that author. I think all of you can appreciate me saying this. I think I know C.S. Lewis. I think I know him. He is a dear friend to me. Never met him. He died before I was even born. But I feel like I know him. How? Because his words are more than just his words, right? What comes out of an author's writings? You see into their soul. And once you've seen into a soul, I get to know the person. Any thoughts, Jill? Um, I don't know. I, I think a few of us here probably read Brandon Sanderson, but he's one of my favorites. And I just love the way, like, you can just tell by his writing style, like, I don't know, I feel like you can't fully get to know someone, but you could get to know a lot about their ideals. Because when, when I write, it's my soul that you read. It's, it's me. When Jesus speaks, guess what? We get to see that piece of him. I think I know Jesus better because I read his actual words than if I didn't have that opportunity. Now, the Book of Mormon teaches us about Christ, and I very much appreciate that. I want to know the doctrine of Christ, but tell me what the Doctrine and Covenants does. It, teach, it gives me His words. I can feel Him. I get to know Him. The Doctrine and Covenants reveals Christ like very few books do. Now, let me just... Let me play on this a little bit, that these are my words, not Joseph's words. Now, we'll use this again, but the Doctrine and Covenants came about about a year and a half into the church's existence. So November of 1831, church was organized April of 30. By November of 31, they're holding a conference. And the question is, what do we do with these? Were they individual for that person? Was section, was section six for Oliver Cowdery and it was just a moment in time and it's just for Oliver? Were these revelations for that individual? That was the question. Should we, why would we publish a revelation given to Oliver Cowdery? And that was the question. Now, something happened at that convention and we'll get to the, the printing of it, but the challenge that came out of that is worth mentioning in terms of, are they Joseph's words or his words? Turn with me to section 67. Section 67 is the convention, 60, 66, 67, 68. That's the convention, that's the, the, that's the conference. So notice in 66, basically two, um, William McClelland, were prefacing it. Now 67. Let's go to verse 5. Now, can you imagine the debate as to whether or not we should print the revelations? What do you think some of them may have said? 
Gwen would have said what? It's none of our business to read what the Lord said to Oliver Cowdery. Let's not print them. Okay, what else? What's another concern you know they had? What was their observation of Joseph? We're really going to print revelations written by Joseph? Really? The guy's kind of not smart. (laughs) And we're really going to print revelations written by Joseph. And so that setting, Jill, what were you going to add? And that's the balance, right? We're going to get to there. But I love this. Your eyes have been upon my servant Joseph Smith Jr. and his language you have known and his imperfections you have known. And you have sought in your hearts knowledge that you might express beyond his language. And this you also know. So the Lord throws down a gauntlet and says, Seek ye out of the book of commandments, even the least that is among them, and appoint him that is the most wise among you. Or if there be any among you that shall make one like unto it, then you are justified in saying that you do not know that they are true. But if you cannot make one like unto it, you are under condemnation if you do not bear record that they are true. So who's the smartest here? Let's see you produce anything like Joseph. Now, William McClelland accepted the challenge and failed. And when he failed, Joseph responded by saying, it is an awesome responsibility to write for the Lord. And when the brightest among them could not produce a revelation even close to what Joseph had produced, that's when they produced this document. This document right here. When they couldn't duplicate anything, they had to testify. What? Tell me what they testified. They have to be from God. They have to be from God. Because clearly they couldn't have come from Joseph. And even the brightest among us couldn't duplicate even the simplest of the revelations. And so they testified that. And that's where that statement comes from. It's from the convention. It's come from the conference where they asked the question. Should we produce these? And the answer was yes. James. I was just thinking how we often do that in that we're like, well, I went to school, so I, I know more. Yeah. You know, where I'm sure some of them are like, yeah, I, Joseph Smith didn't pass the first grade. Like, you know, that'd be a big faith tester. But it's like, how do we know this isn't just coming from him? I could be better. Try it. And it's, it's that pride of the world that gets in our heads especially when with any authority of the, it's like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. My bishop doesn't know. It's like, yeah. I have it sometimes handed out pieces of papers and said, write a revelation. Go ahead, try it. And people feel uncomfortable doing it. And that very uncomfort is a testimony to them of the magnitude of writing scripture. Now, What came out of that conference were two revelations, a a preface and an appendix. Turn with me to section one. Go ahead, Abby, while we're turning. Where is this testimony? Let me show you. So there's the Doctrine and Covenants. There's the introduction. And then after the introduction is the testimony of the Twelve Apostles. I would encourage you to try it. Try and write a a revelation. And if you can't, add your name. Add your name as a witness. I know this didn't come from God. But turn to section one. Now, let me point out the chronology. This is something you need to understand. Look at the chronology. Notice that section one did not come first. The very first chronological section of the Doctrine and Covenants is two, three, four, five. And they pretty much go in order. If you want to find section one, guess where you're going to look? 
Where were we just reading about that conference where they, we just read 67, right? And so at that very conference, the Lord produced two revelations, section one and section 133. Now, section one, go to section one. Notice verse six. What does the Lord call section one? But what does he call section one? My preface. So what was the Lord saying to the question, should we print them or not? Should we print them or not? He not only said print them, let me write a preface for it. And section one is the preface. Now section 133 got canonized. Instead of being an appendix, it was intended to be the appendix and then we just gave it a number. And once we gave it a number, others got listed after it. But section 133 was intended to be the appendix. So the preface and the appendix and all the revelations that come in between. So how then are we supposed to study revelations given to an individual? Notice that the Lord answers that very question in the Doctrine and Covenants. Turn with me to section 15. Section 15, and if you know where I'm going, you're smiling. Section 15. One of the great lessons of my life. I I learned this in the mission field and it changed me. Section 15. Now there's only six verses. Pick one and read it. Doesn't matter which one. Pick one and read it. But just remember which one you read. Did you avoid? Yep. Okay. Because there's Brother Larson, so it looks like his class is over. We're good. And we still have a half an hour, so we're good. So pick one. Pick one of these. If you don't care, read verse 6. The thing that will be of most worth unto you will be to declare repentance unto this people that you may bring souls unto me. Now, turn to section 16 and read the same verse. I can't show that on the screen because of the way it's formatted, but tell me what you learn. Section 15 and 16 are duplicates. They are identical. Except for one word. What's the only difference between 15 and 16? The word, the first word, or the name of the person. Section 15 was to John Whitmer, and section 16 was to Peter Whitmer Jr. Everything else is identical. Okay, so why repeat? There is no other repeated section in the Doctrine and Covenants. If we're going to repeat it because the section is valuable, this is not the section to repeat. 15 is not the most important section. It's the only repeated section, but it's not because of its content. It's because of the context. What makes 15 and 16 duplicates is because the two people who received them were in the same situation. So the Lord is declaring a completely new way of looking at scriptures. God does not speak to the individual. Section six was not to Oliver Cowdery. Section six was to the man in Oliver Cowdery's circumstance. Therefore what? Tell me what that means. Anyone who's in the same circumstance would have received the same revelation. That is foundational. God does not speak to the person. He speaks to the circumstance. So Peter, John Whitmer, I'm going to use shapes. John Whitmer was in that circumstance and got a revelation to match it. So here is the message for that circumstance. So what do we know about Peter Whitmer if he received the same message? He was in the same circumstance. And all of a sudden, there is the key that unlocks the Doctrine and Covenants. 
What was the circumstance that brought the revelation? Because the message matches the circumstance. So if I, let's suppose, let's suppose is in that same circumstance. I went downtown and met with President Nelson and he walked into the Holy of Holies and received a revelation. What would the revelation say? Word for word, it would be section 15, 16, and then the new one. Except for it would say my name instead of John and Peter. That's how revelation works and that's how the doctrine and covenants works. And once you understand that, you unlock a power in the doctrine and covenants you will not get in the Book of Mormon. The power to say what was the circumstance that led to that message. Therefore, anyone in the same circumstance receives the same message. Do you see the power of the Doctrine and Covenants? So you need to know enough of the background, enough of the storyline to say what's the unique circumstance here. Now I will admit, sometimes it's nice crisp lines. Sometimes I have to relax my eyes a little bit. Because guess what? When I look like this and then look like this, those aren't the same shape. But when I step back here and relax my eyes a little bit, what do I see? That's the same shape. And therein is the danger. Way too many re people read the Doctrine and Covenants like this. Oh, I don't have to build a boat. I'm not in that circumstance. Instead of, I'm being asked to do something I don't know how to do. You see the difference? So let me give you an example. Let me give you one of these. Let me give you an obvious, I'm in that circumstance, okay? Turn with me to section 31. And Jaden, I'm gonna pick on you. How long you been home? Four weeks now? Five? How many? Three months. Jaden's been home three months. Now, section 31, let me pull it up. One of my absolute favorites, if you understand this concept, that God speaks to circumstances and not to individuals. So this is not, um, sorry, I'm in 35, I wanna to go to 31. This is not to Thomas B. Marsh. This is to anyone in Thomas B. Marsh's circumstance. So what's his circumstance? Now, look, Look at verse 5. Tell me the circumstance. The hour of your mission is come. The hour of your mission is come. Now, if you want, uh, that's a good one. I think that's a pretty good shape. But if we really want to push this, not only is he going on a mission, but look at verse 2. He's worried about his family. <coughs> I'm worried about my family. Whether that's current or future. I'm worried about my family. So here is a man who's called on a mission and he's worried about his family. Now read verse five, and this is where you have to see the power of understanding how to study the Doctrine and Covenants. Wait a minute, I, I went on a mission and I was worried about my family. Still am. I'm in that circumstance. So the Lord says to everyone in that circumstance, I have a request. My request is that you thrust in your sickle with all your soul. Just go do the work. Will you just go do the work? And if you do, what does he say? Now, this is the biggest neener, neener, neener section if you think it's just to Thomas B. Marsh. 
But if you understand this concept that anyone in that circumstance gets that same revelation, if you served a mission and you thrust in your sickle, you can rest assured that your sins were forgiven you. The oldest sin in that woman's life is three months old. And probably not even that. Everything before her mission wiped clean. That's her payment. And every single person who is in that circumstance gets the same payment. And there it is in black and white. Do you see the power of the Doctrine and Covenants? Now she's worried about school. She's worried about jobs. She's worried about education. She's worried about a lot of things. She's got to survive in a very expensive world. And so the Lord says, because you gave up 18 months, you're not behind schedule. In fact, you're ahead of schedule because number two, I will laden you with many sheaves. I will laden you with many sheaves. I will open doors and make things possible. I'm not going to make your life easy, but I will laden you with many sheaves. Now, number three, what was his main concern about going on a mission? And so the Lord says, number three, your family shall live. And the one I know she's worried about is her husband. That family isn't behind isn't, hasn't lost steam. It's gained it because of her faithfulness. I guarantee somewhere there is a man who received tremendous blessings because she went on a mission. Now, how do I know that? Because it's in the Doctrine and Covenants. Written to Thomas B. Marsh. But do you see the power of the scriptures? Now that's where it's easy. That's where it's easy is I'm in that same circumstances. Jaden, how many did you baptize? Seven. That's a pretty lucrative mission. Let's suppose, Kristen, how many did you baptize? Say none. Say one. Uh, one. <laughs> Where'd you go? Remind me. Argentina. Okay. Um, my son went to Texas. I went to Mexico. I can't use. You, you did three. One. One. Um, I had a student just recently come home from Denmark who didn't baptize a single soul. Now tell me, what's the fear in your heart if you spent 18 months at $400 a month and baptized one? that all of that was in vain. So how about we look for a circumstance in the Doctrine and Covenants where someone was asked by the Lord to do something and there's no way he could succeed. And what was the Lord's message to that circumstance? Do you see the power of studying the scriptures? Turn with me to section 117, Oliver Granger. Now, let me tell you what Oliver Granger's mission was. Instead of going to Denmark and trying to preach, Jill, where'd you go? Germany. Oh, Germany. Jill goes to Germany and baptizes one. This other student goes to Denmark and doesn't baptize a single one. Oliver Granger was asked to sell the church's property after the church left Ohio and went to Missouri. Who's left in Ohio? Apostates. Are they going to pay top dollar for the church's properties? Absolutely. Not a chance. Is Oliver Granger going to succeed in any way? Nope. No. And do you see all of a sudden I'm in that same, God asked me to do something and I am not going to succeed, at least by my definition of success. So watch the power of understanding the scriptures. Section 117 to Oliver Granger. Starting in verse 12, I, I see, again, I say unto you, I remember my servant, Oliver Granger. 
Behold, verily I say unto you that his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation forever and ever. Let him, and this is where you fill in the blank with what you've been asked to do. Let her go to Denmark. Let her go to Germany. Let her, let him. And when he falls, he shall rise again. Why? What's the doctrine? What is, I got to use a different circumstance because this is a different circumstance. So what is the doctrine for the circumstance Oliver Granger is in? What's the doctrine? What's the message for that circumstance? Your sacrifice is more sacred to me than your increase. Your mission was a tremendous success because you went out every single day and looked for other people. And every time someone said no, you went to the next door. And the doctrine is that God measures sacrifice more than increase. What do we measure? We measure increase. We ask a foolish question when missionaries come home. How many did you baptize? It's a foolish question because it's a horrible measure of success. What's a better, ma- what's a better measure of success? How many, how many times did you walk? How many times did you get up when you fell? How many times did you go to the next door when it was slammed in your face? More sacred to God is the sacrifice of being there than the increase. Now tell me that's not gold. But do you see how you're going to find it? You're only going to find it if you understand that God speaks to the circumstance. Now, sometimes you need to relax your eyes a little bit to see, oh my goodness, I'm in that same circumstance. Let me give you one. Ready? Let's talk about Joseph's loss of the 116 pages, which is erroneous. It's just one of my biggest pet peeves. Joseph did not lose 116 pages. He lost a lot more than that. The replacement text was 116 pages. First Nephi through the, almost to Mosiah. So first Nephi through Omni takes how many pages in the text after they print it? 116. Guess what page on the printer's manuscript Mosiah starts with? 117. So the text that Joseph lost, some people estimate could have been anywhere between 200 and 300 pages of Scripture. Okay. Relax your eyes a little bit. Why did Joseph Smith do it? Tell me the circumstance he's in. He's feeling pressure to make someone happy because he's in a situation where I need this person's help. Does he think it's a good idea to give him the manuscript? So why does he do something he doesn't think is a good idea? To make someone happy. I'm pressured to make someone happy because if Martin Harris leaves, what does he lose? Money. Martin Harris will finance the printing of the Book of Mormon. And so what's Joseph worried about? If I don't do what I know is not right, I may not be able to do a good thing that I really want to do. So I'm going to do something lesser evil to do a good thing. That's the circumstance he's in. I want to make someone happy by doing something I shouldn't do so that in the end I can do something good. Now tell me, what shape should I do for that? Um... Joseph Smith has a sacred possession. He's tempted to give it away to make someone happy so that he can do something good. Now, what was that for? 
I am now relaxing my eyes and seeing so many people in this same circumstance. If you relax your eyes, no, I'm not in the situation where I have a sacred manuscript. But you know what I do have? I have two years of my life. And I'm tempted to do something I know I shouldn't do with them to do an overall good thing. I had a student once who received a full ride scholarship to Dartmouth College to play football. Now, how come none of you went to Dartmouth College? You know what a degree from Dartmouth is worth? Starting salary, easily six figures. How come none of you went to Dartmouth College? It is very, it's a private, it is not only is it an Ivy League school, but it's a private Ivy League school. And all he has to do is play football. All he has to do is play football and he goes to Dartmouth on a full ride scholarship. And then he turned 19. Do you see it? I'm tempted to not go on a mission because why? I'm worried Dartmouth won't understand. And if I go on a mission, they will pull my scholarship. So I'm tempted to not go on a mission so that I can go to Dartmouth, which is a really good thing. Now, what is the doctrine? Let's go back. Tell me what the doctrine, what was the Lord's message? What is the doctrine for that situation? Joseph learned it the hard way. Tell me the doctrine. You're not in charge. You, yes. You should have been faithful. You shouldn't have feared men more than God. Meaning what? If Oliver Cowdery gets angry and leaves, I will send you someone else, Joseph. Why did you care so much about what he thought? If he leaves, I'll send you someone else. So tell me the answer for my student who's tempted to do the same thing. Do what is right. If they pull the scholarship, what's the Lord saying to them? I'll provide something else. Now the only question left is, do you have the faith to trust God? He went on a mission. They did not pull his scholarship. They, he came home fully. He is now doctor with a degree from Dartmouth. Didn't have a hard time getting into medical school <laughs> with a degree from Dartmouth. Now, can I give you another one? Some of you might be tempted in a dating situation to give up a sacred possession or else lose a partner. You're in the same situation. Do something you know is wrong to keep a relationship. Same situation. Do you see the power? Now, let me ask you a question. How many members of the church make the connection between Joseph's loss of the sacred manuscript and this boy who wants me to give up my sacred possession or else he'll leave? Or a girl. I'm not saying it's always a boy, but you know what I'm just. How many people make that connection? How many people say, oh, I'm in the same situation as Joseph when he lost the manuscript? That is the problem. They're there. I promise. I have been a teacher of the Doctrine and Covenants for 31 years. And you cannot find a situation. You cannot be in a situation where somewhere in the Doctrine and Covenants specifically and, and scriptures gen generically, someone hasn't been in that same situation and the Lord has revealed the revelation for that situation. I promise. Do you see the power of the Doctrine and Covenants? Now, you may need to relax your eyes and realize this and that are the same shape. But I may not see it right away. I love this book. 
because it reveals so much. Can I just give you a couple of examples? Let me just do a few examples. Turn with me to section uh, 57 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which we talked about, where the Lord reveals the location of Zion. Do you remember that whole story about they were waiting for the announcement, where's Zion? And they find that the Lord says, here it is. It's right here in Jackson County. Now, can you guess what Jackson County looked like when they got there? What would you guess Jackson County looked like? Did it look like the glory of the new Jerusalem? So, in section 50, after 57, go to 58. In section 58, the Lord gave Sidney Rigdon an assignment. Guess what the assignment was? Section 58, verse 50, what was the assignment? Section 58, verse 50, what was the assignment? Write a description of the land of Zion. Tell me what do you think he wrote. Sydney saw what it was instead of what it could be. Sydney saw what it was. Now go to, you see my note, so you know where we're going. Go to section 63, verse 55. 63, verse 55. Tell me what the Lord does with Sydney's description. Who wants to read it? Abby? And now, behold, verily I say unto you, I, the Lord, am not well pleased with my servant Sidney Wigden. He exalted himself in his heart, and received not counsel, but grieved the Spirit. Wherefore his writing is not acceptable unto the Lord, and he shall make another. And if the Lord receive it not, Behold, he standeth no longer in the office to which I have appointed. I'm kicking him out of his calling. In other words, you grieve the Lord and the Spirit when what? When you only see what is. Now, can I just bluntly get in some of your faces and say some of you are grieving the Lord when you look at yourself and see just a plain old landscape instead of seeing Zion. That's a great lesson from the Doctrine and Covenants. Some of you are in Sidney Rigdon's situation and you're looking at your ordinary plain life saying, that's all I am, Lord. And the Lord says, I reject that. Do it again. See the glory. Even in your own life. And write again. See that great lesson? It's a beautiful lesson for me to not see the plain and to see all that with God's help I can be. Otherwise, I grieve the Spirit. See the vision. See the glory. See Zion. Um, where do you want to go? There's a zillion of them. I'm 30 years. I spent 31 years doing this. That's the power of the Doctrine and Covenants is to recognize I'm in this circumstance. This is me. This is my story. And I need to do that. James? Okay, let's do that one. Let's do that one. Let's compare two temples that didn't get built. What's fascinating is here's Kirtland. I always forget. Kirk, Kirtland, Ohio. Kirkland, you buy it Costco, right? Kirkland is Costco. Kirtland is Ohio. All right. 
So here's Kirtland, Ohio, and here's Jackson County, Missouri. Now, very similar, right? Section 88, the Lord commands the, t the building of Kirtland. And section 97, the Lord commands the building of Jackson County. Now, neither initially got built. Let's go to 95. Go to section 95. The Lord bluntly, powerfully rebukes the saints in Kirtland. Section 95. He says... Now, this is Kirtland. This is, they have failed to build the temple. Whom I love, I also chasten, that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement, I prepare a way for their deliverance in all things out of temptation. And I have loved you. You must needs be rechastened and stand rebuked before my face. For ye have sinned against me a very grievous sin in that ye have not considered the great commandment in all things that I have given unto you concerning the building of mine house. He rips them from not building a temple. Now, the same thing's going to happen here. They didn't build it. They didn't build it. But here's the story. And this you may need to dig a little bit in church history to find out. But four days after this revelation was given... Hiram Smith goes out with his bare hands and starts digging the trenches. In Jackson County, there's no way they know how to build a temple, so they don't even start. Now, which temple gets built? Now, tell me the therefore what? Tell me the lesson the Kirtland Temple and the Jackson County Temple teach. I can't do this. I can't do this. Now, sometimes in our overwhelmingness of I can't do it, we choose which course. I just won't even try. That's human nature. I can't do it, so why try? But the Kirtland Temple teaches what lesson? Just do something. Just go build trenches with your bare hands. Just get started. And the Lord will recognize that effort and compensate. You can do this impossible task. Now, where else do we see the same principle taught? Nephi was asked to do an impossible task, and so he begins by saying, how do I build tools? I don't know how to build a boat, but I know I need tools, so can I start there? I know how to build a bellows. I don't know how to build a boat, but I do know how to build a bellows. And there's a ram, and I'm going to get started and give me a ram so I can build this bellows. And that was enough for the Lord to say, well, we can do this. Now, I know way too many people who at the magnitude of the assignment say what? I can't do it. You are the Missouri temple. And you're right. It's too big. And you won't do it. With that attitude, you're right. You won't build it. Powerful lesson. Do you see why we should love this Doctrine and Covenants? Now let me end with number two. I know that was the big one. But number two is let me show you Jesus in the Doctrine and Covenants like you'll not see him anywhere else. You will fall in love with Christ if you will read the Doctrine and Covenants. Let me show you some of my absolute favorites. Turn, let, turn with me to section three, the loss of the manuscript. When Joseph Smith, now how big a sin was that? How big is, how long have we been preparing this Book of Mormon? How, how big a role does the Book of Mormon play in the restoration? And Joseph lost a couple hundred pages of it. How big does that rank in terms of sins? How ticked off is God? Now, watch God. Watch Jesus and apply this to your life. Ready? Section 3 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Verse 4. 
Although a man may have many revelations and have power to do many works, yet if he boasts in his own strength and sets at naught the counsels of God and follows after the dictates of his own will and carnal desires, he must fall and incur the vengeance of a just God. Clearly, who is that man? Although a man may have many revelations and have power to do many mighty things, if he boasts in himself, he's going to fall. He's clearly talking about Joseph. In what tense? He. What's the distance between Joseph and God at that moment? He. Not even talking to him. He's talking about him. He's turned his back. I'll tell you about him. But watch what God does. Notice all of the U's, the U's, the U's. Oh, sorry. Notice the he's. And then all of a sudden, starting in the very next verse, tell me what God has done without even realizing it. Tell me what God has done. Now he's talking to Joseph. You have been entrusted. You, your. Remember the promises that were made to you. How big of a jump? What's the distance between he and you? Now, where does he go after that? Verse 9. The very sacred, the very intimate. Thou. Tell me what God just did to a big sinner. He pulled him right in. Now, how big of a sin has Joseph committed? And he just pulled him in. See what kind of being he is? Not one of you have done anything compared to losing 200 to 300 pages of restored scripture that took thousands of years to produce. You know, every prophet that's screaming at you, not one of you have committed a single sin like that. And if God will pull Joseph into his chest, what will he do to you? You see the lesson? Next one, I think I've shared with this class, if, if I have, forgive the repetition, go to 111. 111. Now notice 110. 109 is the dedicatory prayer. 110 is where Jesus comes. So Joseph is in heavy debt for building. I think the Kirtland Temple is the most expensive building that has ever been built considering its expense and our ability to pay. We were the poorest of people and we built a magnificent building. I think it's the most expensive building that's ever been built and Joseph's heavily in debt. Now, Knowing what you know about debt, tell me how Joseph is stressing over being in debt for the Kirtland Temple. Someone shows up and says, I have a brilliant idea. I know of a house in Salem, Massachusetts, where there is a lot of gold hidden in the basement. Now, that's not far-fetched. It's not far-fetched that there's gold hidden in the basement. What's far-fetched is what? This is not how God gets out of debt for the temple. You don't go to Salem and buy a house and there's gold in the basement. And yet, where was section 111 given? Which means Joseph went. Not his most brilliant idea. Now, I can tell you I have had many Salem, Massachusetts moments where the Lord just looked at me like, really? I have had numerous Salem, Massachusetts moments. Now, here's what I love. Verse 1. Tell me about the God of Joseph Smith. I, the Lord your God, am not displeased with you coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. Tell me what he's doing, Daniel. I kind of imagine him like taking a big sigh right before he yeah. finishes that end part. Like, <sighs> 
Notwithstanding your faults. In other words, what's he saying? Tell me what he's saying. This was a dumb idea, Joseph. But bless your soul for trying. Now tell me what kind of God you have. What kind of Heavenly Father you have? Who just says, oh, Bryce, this was not your finest hour, was it? No, Lord, it wasn't. But bless your heart for trying. You see why I love Jesus? I just love the God of the book of the Doctrine and Covenants. He's so personal. How about section 80, uh, 78? One of my favorites, section 78. What kind of being is this? Tell me what kind of person would say this. Verse 17 and 18. Section 78, 17 and 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you are little children, and you have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father hath in his own hands and prepared for you. Nevertheless, or no, you cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer. Why? Because I'm going with you. I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours. The blessings thereof are yours. The riches of eternity are yours. What kind of God is that? I'm going with you. You can't do this, can you? Oh, Bryce, coming to Salem, really? All right, I'll help you out. I will lead you along. In fact, one of the most powerful scriptures of what, what Jesus, what role Jesus is going to play is section 45. Let's end here. Section 45. Now, here's the analogy. Let's imagine Judgment Day as a courtroom scene, okay? Here's the scene. Judgment Day and I, my salvation is being tried. Um, I don't think Satan's the pro prosecutor. I, that's a horrible, I just don't want to give Satan that much power. So I'm going to let my natural man be the prosecutor. My natural man's job is to show God that I am not worthy of the celestial kingdom. So my natural man presents a case. Let me tell you all the things that he did. Now, I want you to just picture me on that day sitting in my little box as the prosecutor lays out the case against me. I know you're going to be there, and it haunts me that you're going to be there. And every time he lays something out, all of you, I'm going to hear behind me, all of you say, <gasps> and he taught me institute? <laughs> <gasps> and the case is laid out. Now, who's my lawyer? <clears throat> and my first thought, after, can you imagine the prosecutor finishing? And can you imagine the look on my face as I look over at Jesus? You got nothing compared to that. I have not done enough good to overcome the shock you just felt when you heard all that I've done. There is no good I can do to overcome that shock. Would you agree? If you knew everything that I've ever done, there is no good that would overcome that. So I look at Christ saying, I have a hopeless case. There's no way I'm saved. Now, listen to his case. Let's let God be the judge. Jesus is my, my lawyer. And here's the case. Listen to, whom, to him who is advocating with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him, saying, here's my case, ready? Father, we're not going to talk about Bryce. We're not going to talk about the good he's done. We're not going to talk about his testimony. We're going to talk about me. Behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin in whom thou wast well pleased. Behold the blood of thy son which was shed, the blood of him whom thou gavest that thyself might be glorified. Are you thinking about him, Father? 
now. Save Bryce because I want him there. That's my case. Not do I deserve to be there. Save him because I want him there. There is only one possible verdict, right? What's the only possible verdict? Let him in. All I have to do is love Jesus and follow him to the best of my ability. Now that's a very different Jesus than most Christianity believes in. And that's the doctrine and covenants. I pray you will fall in love with that book. It is worthy of your love. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This has been class number 12 on the Doctrine and Covenants. I hope you were motivated to spend a little bit more time within its pages and fall in love with the modern-day scriptures, the Doctrine and Covenants. Thank you.